0: Welcome to episode 74 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat
1: down with Diana Mounter. is a designer at Etsy. But before we get into the show, we want to thank our two sponsors that made this episode possible.
0: First up, as always, Dropbox. Dropbox is all about helping you work better with others. And that includes things like Mailbox for email, uh, Carousel for sharing your photos back and forth to your family and friends and coworkers. And then, of course, Dropbox, helps you sync all your files across all your devices and across teams so you can work together with other people seamlessly, easily, comfortably, wonderfully, super fast, without any effort. I mean, how many other good like adjectives can I put in here? It's fantastic. We use it all the time for everything. We use it at my day job, we use it at Brian's day job. We use it for spec, for syncing our files from where we're recording it to Sarah, our producer, who then takes them And makes the thing that comes to your ears they also allow you to do cool things with now Dropbox paper where you can write a document and include your files in line sometimes with previews which is pretty rad for writing like say product specs Dropbox can be your new product manager because no one knows what your old product manager does no one knows what product managers do but Dropbox does Dropbox is the best product manager just use Dropbox it's really great so Thank you once again to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. We love that they're supporting the community in this way and helping us collaborate with each other. Thank you, Dropbox. Go check them out at dropbox.com.
1: Our second sponsor, of course, Icon Finder, the largest source of premium icons on the web. They have over 650,000 icons on their website right now, gearing up towards a million by next year. They're constantly updating their library with the best icons for any of your design projects. These are icons that you can use in commercial projects. Uh, if you're a freelancer and you need to use them for a client, that is okay. If you make icons, you can sell them on Icon Finder. We know designers that are making four to $5,000 every single month. If you're not an icon designer, you just need them for your work. Go to iconfinder.com and just search. Uh, You can filter icons by the format. Uh, You can filter by vector icons, if they're free or premium, what kind of licensing they have, the size, the color, the style. They have outline icons. They have photorealistic icons. On and on and on, over 650,000 of them they have a service called Icon Finder Pro, which gives you access to this entire collection for just nine bucks a month. But if you use the promo code Details, that'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month. So whatever you need icons for, go to iconfinder.com and start searching. Thanks once again to Icon Finder.
0: And with that, let's get into episode 74 with Diana Mounter.
2: I'm Diana Mounter. Um, I'm a product designer. I work at Etsy and I am not from America. I'm a little bit Whoa, British really? and a little bit Australian, so.
0: What percentages? I need accurate measurements here.
2: Well, each country will have an opinion on this. I I was born in the UK, so I'm probably 100% British. Um, but then I moved to Australia and tried to be really Australian because when you're in Australia, and you live there, and you hear British backpackers, you kind of don't want to be British anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I lived in Australia for uh, almost eight years. And so you're became, a trader. Yeah, that's people like to say that. Became <laughs> an Australian citizen just before I moved to the US, so then Australians called me a trader as well for <laughs> leaving straight after that. It's a total turncoat. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm mostly just collecting passports, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's legit
2: yeah but every every move has been by accident so it's been by accident i like to say accident in probably a way that's not 100 percent correct but yeah i kind of accidentally moved to australia um i came out i went out there for a year thinking cool there's some more opportunities in graphic design at the time how old are you 23 okay um the industry in the UK was not very good at that time. There was a lot of. I was working as, like, started off in print design and a lot of places were closing down. And I was like, I want to go and see the world and, um, you know, prove myself and all that sort of stuff. And also, I was doing some courses up in London and met a bunch of designers. And a couple of them had been to Australia and they were like, yeah, there's like loads of jobs out there for designers. So I told my parents that I was going out there for a year, but I had this kind of slightly back pocket idea that maybe I would find a job and stay out there for longer, and I did.
0: Back pocket idea?
2: Oh, I, I don't know if I just made that term up, but okay. <laughs> I was just I like... I was like,
0: wait, is that a thing? Oh, that's a thing, yeah. Okay.
2: Okay, maybe I should have a background idea. I don't know. Uh, uh, back pocket. Yeah.
0: We it's... knew what you were saying. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, wait, is this a Britishism? Is this something I should know? <laughs>
2: That was one of the other rules I thought about writing down before I should come on this podcast is like things that are quirky things I say that are British or Australian, but not really understandable by Americans. Okay. Do you have a
1: favorite saying that's not American? English? Yes.
2: Uh, Cap likes this one. Cap Watkins. Um, I say, uh, let's meet up in the Arvo and like talk about this. And he's like. What? In the what? Yeah. He's like, what's an Avo? I'm like. The afternoon, he's like, "How does that make any sense?" <laughs> it doesn't make none any of sense. those letters are in. But <laughs> you, you can listen to the news in Australia, and like news reporters will say, "Arvo." Arvo. Yeah. So if you look- wait, A R V O. Yes. Oh, Arvo. Arvo. What? Yeah, if you look on my, so I don't know if you've seen that I do robot illustrations, but oh, I the, saw. the first one I did was called Ave, and the, the time on his clock in the middle of him is 2 p.m. because it's the Aave. <laughs> All
1: right, I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, <laughs> well, so you did find a job in Australia. You stayed for eight years. Mm-hmm. What happened?
0: It's a lot of job.
2: It is. Um so I I was doing like a contra, like a temporary a temping job at a, um, a government organization, and it was meant to be for three days, and and then it kept getting extended, and they were then they were like, actually, we've been looking for a designer that knows about the web, um, and that also understands like working in government, and I and I had also worked in government in the UK, and they were like, would you be interested in staying and we'll sponsor you? And I was like, yes, yes, I would. And I'd really enjoyed working there so far. And uh, it was interesting because like what I did as a contractor there was a little bit different to what it was like when they were like, okay, now here's the website, please redesign it and (laughs) make it all good. It was like a lot different uh, working there full time, but it turned into a five-year job. It was, you know, that's what happens a little bit with uh, visas, but it was... Wait, what do you mean? Well, I could have moved, but it would have affected my ability to get permanent residency. So I stayed with them a little bit longer than oh, maybe I, see. I would have. It, you, okay. you know, you're a bit restricted about switching up jobs, um, but... I had a really... I I feel like I made the most of my opportunities there and I uh, got to work on much more meaningful design projects than I had done previously. Um, they, I worked a lot with the environment team and the community team. And that was like the first time where I realized I could use design for something meaningful, something with purpose. And... And I was, I I realized that's what I wanted to keep doing as much as I could throughout my career, and I've tried to keep that as part of my role since then. Designing for humans. Yeah, <laughs> that that to me is the point. I like that you used the tagline from my website. <laughs>
1: I did research you.
2: Mm, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, <Uh-oh. laughs> it's weird when he says that.
0: Uh oh. <laughs> One question I've had ever since I first like encountered you on the internet. Mhm. I I would presume you know what this question is already.
2: I have some guesses. <laughs>
0: Broccoli.
2: <laughs> okay, so you want me to tell the story of That would be wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Cuz for the
0: longest time I just thought it was your last name.
2: You are not the first name. I was like that is that's a, that is a strong name. last name. It sounds like kind of an Italian name, I think. Um, okay, so when I was back in Australia, I was ordering Chinese one night with my friend. We had had a few glasses of wine and uh, we saw this broccolini on the menu and started giggling a lot. And we were like, wow, they've become really uninventive with like vegetable names and they've just given up and they've just like added ini on on the end of broccoli. And so we laughed a lot about that. And then about a week later, we're walking down down this, down the street in Sydney. And, um, my friend sees another of his friends in in the restaurant. Uh, she, she's a waitress there. So we walk in to say hi. And while they're chatting and catching up, I, I start flipping through the menu. And of course there's broccolini on the menu. And I just start losing my shit, laughing, (laughs) giggling away, look up. And they're both looking at me like, what is so funny? I'm like, broccolini. And they're like, why is that so funny? And like this guy's looking at me like you're really being embarrassing. And then this other girl is like, you are crazy. Anyway, next part of the story turns out a month later, this girl, her name is Carrie. She's looking for a housemate, and I was looking to move um, uh, apartments. And uh, she she couldn't remember my name. So the whole time she's conversing with a friend of mine, and like chatting with me and just put her she just put me in her phone as broccolini girl and she's got a bit of a sense of humor and just started telling all her friends that I was broccolini and they and that that was it like so when I moved in with her she found out my real name but then she just everyone by that point knew me as broccolini and that and then they would call me Brockles and brock and people would shout like if they saw me like I would be sat in a restaurant and they'd be like, hey broccolini <sighs> and it just stuck so like <laughs> yeah when i went to create my twitter handle i was like well clearly this is it and it's usually not taken on other sites so i just stuck with it. <laughs> i don't know what you're expecting the story to be but like, that was it <laughs>
0: broccolini there has to be a story here <laughs> That's no one just story. picks a random vegetable
2: I like this I like how it sounds when I say it so I'm like I'll stick with it.
0: That's fair.
2: I and I like vegetables so
1: <laughs> meeting all the checklist of usernames. Got yeah. it.
0: Vegetable like I it. like the sound of it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: Um where were we? You were working in Australia. Mm. And you left after five years, but you were there for eight years wait what right
2: i left I that like job. left that job
1: in five years I okay. lived in Australia for eight years
2: yeah, ah. so what happened like why I left that job
1: uh what or just what happened next
2: yeah, um, so i I found that I felt like I was trying to make a lot of change from inside working in government and it was really hard work. Um, I was really passionate about it, but it felt like they were like 10 or 15 years behind everyone else and I was really having to fight the case of things like, um, you know, I, I was working more closely with local governments. and to me it felt like they should really be engaging in social media and like being really making themselves accessible um to the public and it was a lot of hard work and I I spent a lot of time working on that and building up actually build up like a web community around government at that time especially around like making sites accessible and things and I guess I got to the point where I felt like I'd done as much as I could and I wondered whether I could be more affected from the more effective from the outside and also just learn more um, career wise so I moved to an agency uh, called Digital Eskimo and they specialized in uh, environmental projects social change projects education and so I did get to work on work with other local governments and state governments and um, universities and nonprofits from the agency in it was like a hard decision for me. I felt like I was like uh, abandoning this like group of people, but um, it was really what taught me uh, how to do really good UX design, I think. Like I really learned that at the agency. I was really able to focus and expand and learn um, UX design a lot better. So I'm glad I made that step.
1: Do you ever think about going back to government work?
2: Yes, I do. Really? Um, I do because I don't know what it was like in, in the US around that time, but it was before Obama. And um, there was this uh, UK documentary uh, uh, created called, uh, it was called Us Now. And it really inspired me. And it was about like making government more transparent and open and i really believed in that mission and i i still do i just i just got a bit burnt out from it like career wise so every now and then i talk from people talk to people from like code for america also uh some of my uh family and work with people who work on like um gov.uk mhm uh so every now and then i get in discussions with those people and i like get really excited and it, I don't think that's out of the question for me. It's just not right now. So.
1: Yeah. There's a, it came out just a couple of months ago, the US government style guide. Did you see that?
0: Did I didn't, it just come out or was it like just not, like not discovered? Uh, I thought it was around for a while. I thought they redid it. It looks super OG. So it's governmental.
1: It's government, but it's a style guide, which I thought was cool that they're even thinking like that.
2: I heard about it. I had not. Checked it out yet? But I'm really curious about it because that was one of the things that prompted myself and another colleague to work with local governments on making their sites more accessible. Because at the I think it was in New Zealand at the state government level, um, and and the state government level in Australia, they had mandated this kind of style guide. But it it was it was born from like the right what's the word, Um, the right place, like it was from, they had come to that conclusion from things like accessibility standards, but they had really made it way, way too restrictive. And it was not something that worked well with the context of working on very, very different sites. And there were like some really bad usability issues and it really frightened us that they would like mandate that for local government too. And maybe it would have been like not the worst thing because many local government websites were like terribly badly made. Mm-hmm. um, But it didn't feel the right way to go about it. It felt like it should have been like guidelines and there should have been education around. You can't just be like, here's guidelines. Well, like, here's, here's some rules that you have to apply to, not like any context around that. And like, even with style guides, you come across like, um, a, an interaction and that style guide pattern doesn't quite work for it. One of the things I like about things like material design is they have the like do's and don'ts in there. Mm-hmm. And this thing had like none of that. Yeah. So you'd be like, oh, should I just do this anyway? Cause these are the rules or is this the rule only in a certain context or what? So mm-hmm. I don't know
1: why I have this mental perception of design at at the government level being slower or like did you ever experience that it being slower or harder to convince people that design was important for those kinds of websites?
2: Yeah I mean it was often an afterthought. Uh, It was not budgeted very well. Often in at least at the local government level I can't really speak a lot to the state government level but A lot of people that had taken over like looking after the website and this was like, you know, 2005 to 2008. So this is a little while ago, but a lot of people that were working on the websites had gone from being librarians and like were doing this part time or like a day a week and uh, they were just trying to do the best job they could. That's like around that time I was like, okay, I want these people to talk to each other and have a way to connect and learn from each other. And I worked with a colleague to build up this network for web developers in local government. And um, we held this conference and there were all these people talking in this room and they'd never met another web developer in in government ever before. They'd never been to a conference before about this, but that was for them. And it was like, I felt super excited, but like, oh man, this is also terrible. <laughs> now I know what
1: you mean by like 15 years behind. So you ended up at the agency for three years. And then, and then what happened?
2: Then I uh, got itchy feet and wanted to do a little bit of itchy traveling. Itchy feet. Hmm. I don't know, that's what I say. <laughs>
1: is that an English Australian thing? Itchy feet? It's, it's not <laughs> a Bryn thing.
2: It's not a Bryn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I started wanting, I wanted to do a bit more traveling around the same time. Some friends of mine moved over to some colleagues actually, uh, had moved over to SF to work in a startup. Also around that time, the social network came out and I was like, Oh "Oh, man, (laughs) I want to be here. And like, I think I felt, I felt Sometimes a lo- like a little bit of an alien. Um, I well, you technically are. Yeah, I'm an alien wherever I live now. Um, but I was, I enjoyed. There were some friends that I had that where we would like a, f- a fun Friday night would be like we used to drink Corona at that time and like j- sit around drinking Corona, working on on like nerdy Let's call projects. This like the
0: John Gold phase. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay. <laughs> that was when I Drinking
0: could... bad beer and working on side projects. Yeah,
2: I mean, it was like great. And I, I used to hang out with um, a couple of designers and engineers and they started, it was so awesome. They started this um, work together thing um, and it was initially called Agency Rainford and it turned into uh, Jelly, which is, I don't know if it's like super big here, but it's sort of well-known in Australia and it's, mm. I don't know why they called it Jelly, But the whole idea is that you get out of your normal working environment and work together and they used to host this at their house. So just a bunch of random people would sign up and like edit this like I think it was like a gist or something and just say this is my Twitter handle and this is what I'm working on and just turn up at their house and bring their laptop and that was when you still needed some... I think, I can't remember if we had Wi-Fi then. I'm not sure. But like, yeah, it was like crazy. Was here in San Francisco? No, this is in Australia. This is like... Oh, I thought you
0: said you moved here. Okay. Got no, it.
2: sorry. I don't know where I am anymore. But yeah, I was in, that was in Australia. What led me to moving here, and I was trying to explain why I felt crazy. So there was not many friends that liked to just nerd out on their laptops. And it became really obvious to me one night when I was, you know, sat at home... Um, I used to live with two other housemates and I was drinking, I had like a bottle of wine and a pizza and I was building some Jekyll site and I was like, I'm that having the best That sounds like time. the best night. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this is the best Friday night ever. And then my friend stumbled in with another friend like, what are you doing? I'm like, having fun? <laughs> and so like things like that and then like hearing how things were going for my friends like working in a startup and then some other friends moved over here I was like I kind of want to check SF out so I planned this trip and the trip kind of expanded in detail I I started off just planning a holiday to hang out for a month and visit some friends in SF Uh, one of my best friends moved to New York he's still here now and I was like yeah and it was like around my birthday I was like cool and then I heard about this thing called the startup bus I don't know if you researched <laughs> this. I've, I know about the startup bus. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So I, someone told me about the startup bus and I was like... So
0: continue the story of the startup bus. Let's, let's okay. clarify this for our listeners.
2: So the startup bus is a hackathon competition <laughs> on a bus. And it started off uh, with one bus. The first year they did it, they just went from San Francisco to Austin. And the idea was to like build something in, I think it was about three days. Uh, build something in three days and like try and launch it by the time you get to Austin on a bus for South by Southwest right I heard about this and it was like the second year so they had some more buses this time and applying for this it was like applying for a job or something I was like this is gonna be awesome I will like meet a bunch of people in the tech industry see America in a really like stupid nerdy crazy way I like wasn't expecting to like get a job out of it but I was like maybe I'll just like get an idea of who I should talk to so I wrote this application for the startup bus the day that I'd moved houses and everyone was giving me all this advice and I was like shut up I was like I'm gonna write why I'm actually passionate about it and why I was passionate about but about doing something like the startup bus was about the community Like, I don't know if you've read anything about it, but they were really about building a community. And this was like the kind of entrance to that. So I wrote about that and I told them the stuff I'd done in government and just wrote from the heart and I got in. And it was like really funny because I was at another hackathon when I got the like you're in.
1: (laughs) So you're a serial hackathoner. Hack addict. addict.
2: I mean, I think I've done like five hackathons. I'm not like super nuts. I've never
0: done one. We've judged one.
2: You judge without doing one.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't know. We were that's where it. I live. I <laughs> judge without doing. That's, that's kind of uh, that's that's beautiful. Oh man, what's your favorite hackathon project?
2: Oh, I'm gonna try and remember. Yeah, not I'm tr- that big okay, of a deal. Okay, no, huh? rem- no, I remember. No, I I was trying to remember the name. It. I'm gonna be honest. It has an innuendo to the name, but it was Perfect. like kind of so funny. So when I was working at Digital Eskimo, I somehow I convinced uh, a creative director to like kind of sort of sponsor a a group of us to do this uh, hackathon called GovHack, which actually I think still goes on today. And it's about working with government data sets and just seeing something crazy that you can do with it. And the time that we did that one there, it was, you know, after the sort of economic crisis and that did affect Australia but not quite as much as it did here and one of the ways that the government responded to that was with a stimulus package and so we decided as this hackathon project to map um, the expenditure of the stimulus package and also map whether there was any like um, party bias to that so like depending on which party was operating in the different, like, government sector, like, how, whether there was any bias to it and what type of projects. So we had all these, like, icons. So we decided to call it Get Stimulated. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, our boss was like, cool. It's, like, you cool. know, it's kind of, <laughs> like, a bit gutsy. and It's, like, you know, it was really fun. And that's actually doing that, working on that project. That was the first time I learned how to use Git and GitHub. So... Let's talk about so Git. Like, <laughs> Get Stimulated. <laughs> yeah, so, like... I mean, if anything, that was like a really helpful thing to learn. So
0: You sound like really excited about learning Git specifically. Is there a particular reason that you as a designer really feel like that was a powerful thing?
2: So so learning Git on on that hackathon project allowed me to contribute code. So I knew a little bit of HTML and CSS, I could make copy updates and I was doing some know simple design stuff and learning that on at that hackathon meant that I could actually contribute code to that project but and for me that was like really empowering I was helping build it and that stuck with me and even though that wasn't really a, a, an essential or like required part of my role at that agency. Whenever I could, I would jump in and help out and try and make any changes that I could that didn't really need like an engineer to do. And I just wanted to learn more after that. Um, I think it's really empowering to do it, it I think it's an essential part at most companies um, to enable you to push code.
1: Yep. I think even just conceptually, it's really helpful. Should
0: designers code though, guys?
1: (laughs) Should designers get? (laughs) But I think conceptually it's super helpful just this idea of branching and merging, like understanding how changes compound over time. And like, for me when I first started, I didn't want to mess around with code that I thought I could break. It's this idea of like branching off and being able to break anything and nothing like it was fine. Mm-hmm. It like opened up this room for creativity and just screwing around with stuff and that was like a great way to learn.
0: It's like starting a new artboard when you iterate instead of trying and deleting the old one. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Metaphors.
2: <laughs> no, like that's something I've been like metaphors are really helpful like
1: simile. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, simile. oh gosh. He's
1: googling simile versus <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> it's a simile, but oh,
2: sorry. Man. I have no idea. Just because I
0: use the word like or as, yep, I'm getting the middle finger. Okay, well, so <laughs> anyways, like, anyways.
2: So if you're trying to teach a new designer um, how to use Git, using examples, relating it to something they're they're familiar with can be really helpful. So I found like uh, talking about splitting how off
0: stalks of broccolini.
2: Yeah, shit, why haven't I done that? Oh my God. I'm gonna redo all the docs when I get back at work. Uh, <laughs> things like uh, Dropbox and like saving and syncing can be like a, a pretty helpful uh, thing to compare it to um, because it is, you know, when you've been using it for a while, it's really hard to step back into those like shoes of early days and I like, think what made me understand this? And so I've been... You know, talking a lot with the designers that have been learning this recently, and asking them to be really super honest about their feedback, and just be like, "What is not making sense?" And there's so many things that are super alien to them that I've gotten used to, like you forget. Yeah, like what? When should when should you add and commit stuff? Like when is a good time to make a commit? And like when should you push code?
1: Always, always always I mean
2: I'm like always be committing right but like yeah it's it's really obvious to you when you use it for a while but it's not to a new designer they think they're they're typing this thing and it's going to be like really important when they do that and what it what it says and who it gets sent to so there is some stuff out there for like learning git as designers but I feel like there could be a lot more
1: just reminded me there's some website that scrapes public github commits for anyone that says I think the f word It just is like oh yeah, it's wonderful. It's a Tumblr. (laughs) Yeah, this running list of commits that have the F word and it's like
0: fixing
1: all Fucking bug. Can't
0: can't fucking fix this fucking bug. Oh
2: man, I really love writing silly commit messages, except that there's now this little voice inside me that says, "No, write something that means something." So when someone yeah, commit emojis. I use a I I have. So we use. uh, Basecamp at uh, Etsy, Etsy to share design work, which I think we all have a bit of a love-hate relationship with. But we we use it, and I always make it a personal challenge, which helps me enjoy the process of sharing stuff on Basecamp to like include emojis, um but you know, not too much. That's just an enough, intense
1: personal challenge.
2: But also puns and little jokes oh, oh. because I'm ruining my secret now, but. Then I know if someone's read it because they'll like reply. They'll be like, "Oh my god, that was hilarious! I I would, like really laugh at that, and I like that's so much fun trying to bring mm-hmm. that into writing stuff." I don't know. I know people read my chat messages
0: now because they're like, "Oh, wet shit, frown!" Like, <laughs> no, you probably didn't like that.
2: And there's so many more emojis now, but there's no bacon one. they're also
0: it? kind of terrible. The new ones are really ugly. But there's I a taco l- emoji.
2: That's all everyone's talking about. I would like to talk about the upside down smiley, smiley face. face. That's my favorite. That one's been getting <laughs> a lot of
0: usage in my circles. Mm-hmm. In your circles? In my circles, Brian. In your clicks. I
2: was gonna say, I sent you. You sent new me one, one too. So yeah, I fun. sent you it's one. It's the Australian smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> I sent Kat one because he was like, I'm heading to Australia. And I was like, ha. I really oh, yeah, hope he, he sent that says upside down. Yeah. I hope he says said- did he do that? I did not see that. I hope he says Arvo to someone while he's there because like... He <laughs> <laughs> they'll just think like either he's using it in the wrong way or like just reply normally oh, to him. It yeah. would be so funny.
0: Petition to rename Cap is Arvo Watkins. <laughs> Arvo Watkins.
1: <laughs> Three signatures. Well, we're kind of jumping ahead. Uh, you mentioned Etsy, but what? I think we left off where you were on the startup bus heading to austin uh like kind of right after you'd moved here so what like then what
2: so i arrived in austin after not much sleep drinking a lot of red bull and coffee
0: that's the worst time to arrive in texas
2: <sighs> and it, it was south by southwest have you been there for that no it's crazy i mean it's kind of i kind of love austin any when any time of year but like uh Except when it's like hundred degrees, that's not mm-hmm. so good. Degrees Fahrenheit for the <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're fully converted. Oh, I hate myself for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I write then as like people falling out of bars, craziness and
0: Texas. Yeah.
2: Okay. So the team I was on, we were like, This idea is gonna change everything. I was starting to think I'm this is it now, this is my life now. I'm gonna like build this thing. The
1: wishlist app.
2: No, this oh, is, this separate, is different the, um, that was the second year because I was crazy ah. and did Startup Bus for the second time. And that's a completely, it's another story. But the first year I did it, we built this app that we named Bouncer with no E-R, Bouncer. It's um, a classic startup naming. You know, it was a trend. Bouncer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, we, we dubbed it Bitly for email. So it was like an email shortener and it would like protect your email.
0: You make email less terrible? It was so oh, you could share your email cool. over
2: things like Twitter and not share your real email. And uh, you could, I can't even remember how the entire product worked, to be honest, but I think it's still a thing. But That's hilarious. I actually, We did lot. something like that, but for Are like really?
0: regular links. You could put email addresses in it though.
2: Okay. So yeah, that was our thing. And like we were doing, we were in like, CNET magazine that was exciting mm-hmm. to me at the time yeah. the like, actual magazine or the blog the blog okay. and they like wrote this like article about us like why we we're it was so funny it was surreal we were on the start of bus, and the next morning i wake up and it's we're still on the bus and i read this article and it's like and Mounter says blah 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 i always find that funny when they use your surname and
0: broccolini
1: says i
2: wish they said that. so to answer your question i get to austin it's w- and and our team is like no we're gonna keep working and we're like for hours we're sat in the hallways of this company called vast i'll get back to that so we're like working in the hallways
0: wait vast or a vast
2: vast v-a-s-t okay so not
0: not the like the antivirus thing
2: no vast or vast as vast. Vast. british like to say i'm now calling it vast <laughs> So we're at Vast and um, <laughs> and we were like working in the hallways and then at some point someone was like, uh, do you want to like come inside and work at a table and stuff? We ended up taking over their boardroom, which I didn't realize was their boardroom at the time. And about 1.30, uh, this uh, product manager comes in and just like, hey, what's up guys? And like, he works at the company and just, he, they're sponsoring the startup bus, so um, because uh, Elias Byzans, who's the guy that ran it, worked at Vast. I knew none of this at the time. Anyway, he starts talking to us and he's asking what everyone does and he finds out I'm a designer. And he's like, so we're hiring designers. Are you interested in moving to SF? And I was like, uh, maybe. And like my whole team's like, go, go, go. <laughs> like chat to this guy. He's like, do you want to chat? I'm like, yeah. So 1.30 AM in the morning, been on a bus for three days. Uh, drunk a lot of caffeine hadn't had much sleep I'm like shit go into interview mode dining go into interview mode I'm like think I am like thinking anyway so we we walk around Austin with crazy people everywhere maybe who had had a few drinks and um, yeah just talked about what Vast does like what I do as a designer and it went from there. Um, the next minute, my month trip into the US turned into an interview trip. I ended up talking to a couple of other companies as well. Get back to Sydney, they offer me the job. I moved out like six weeks later. So it was really fast to move from a different country. <laughs> and at, then I'm like- at, in, vast. at vast. 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 Yeah, so- uh, How big they, was vast? They were- Was it vast? It was very vast. Uh, it was like between two and three hundred, and it was really funny because they were like big data company, and they specialized in vertical search. And
0: oh, that now I get it: big data, vast. Yeah, Got
2: it. yeah, that's where the connection is. But all my some of my friends would make a joke about vertical search, and they're like, "Is that like the search bar like just turned <laughs> like, just turned <laughs> on Turn it its sideways. side?" Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I wanted to. I did actually propose a t shirt design for that, but it didn't didn't make. I actually it. don't
1: know what vertical search is.
2: I didn't, when this guy was talking to me at 1.30 and when I was like, shit, this is I don't it. know what this is. Um, It's a lie. Yeah, I don't know that I, I'm going to say what people in the industry think it is, but it was that they had verticals in different industries, so in different areas. So they focused on travel, um, auto, and... Uh, What's it called when you're looking for a house? <laughs> Real estate. Real estate, yeah. <laughs> Which was the bit that I worked on, so that's cool that I forgot that. <laughs> you forgot, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they really, they, they were building like retail search, travel search, um, vehicle search around those er- er- areas. So okay. that's where they called gotcha. it ver- vertical search. And they had like a lot of data. They would get a lot of data from different sources and normalize it and and... They had two arms. One was like to build products around that. And one was to like, resell that data.
1: So you got your foot in the door and you came to SF Mm -hmm. for vast, Mm -hmm. vast, vast. Vast. Uh How long were you there for?
2: It was probably a year and a half. I think it was, yeah, about a year and a half. And the company went through a lot of changes and they started, um, really like moving a lot of people to Austin rather than SF. And, uh, I found myself looking for a job a little bit more suddenly than yeah. I wanted to. Um, it was good timing really. I was like unhappy and thinking this is not the right place. And, uh, and that's when I ended up at Snapguide. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to work on something where design was more embedded in the company and that it was like more important and I got the feeling that that was there and I think it was and I really got to improve my like the visual side of my design skills Uh and then I also got to just work on iOS all the time (laughs) which was like something I decided I was like I actually like web better but it was really good to get immersed in that for a while Mm -hmm. and like understand that space.
1: Did San Francisco turn out to be what you expected when you'd kind of been hearing about it while you are in Australia?
2: Yeah. Like I could go to a coffee shop with my laptop and feel fine. Like not feel weird. Bumping into like people in the, in different parts of the industry, working on things that I was really excited about. Yeah. There's like, I met some of the smartest people I've ever met here. Uh, and I do not regret for a minute moving here. It was like an, a really awesome experience for me. Um, I think it was good for me as a career a career wise as well
1: um was there anything that surprised you or like mismatched your expectations
2: mostly in terms of you know i think whenever you do something like move industries or maybe move countries and or even just starting a new company you're like shit do i really know what i'm doing Mm -hmm. i think i think this has come off on this podcast a few times like yeah um A little bit of that, but what really surprised me, um, maybe I, you know, to be fair, it may just be the companies that I particularly worked at, but just even just encountering designers um, out there, like the sort of bit of design that happens between research and design didn't seem to be super prominent. Like I I found a lot of designers that I met were really in just like, let's just make a mock-up kind of thing. I design like from understanding the people that I'm designing for and from doing research before I even design something, like before I even put boxes on a page. Mm -hmm. That's a huge culture in Sydney. And people would have arguments about what was co design versus participatory design and things like that. And here I found like it was much more about UI and code, which I – like also like really value and care about now. But I also didn't encounter as many people who were like understood the research process and how to take research into design and did things like user journey mapping or or, or personas or like even like UX flows. So that didn't seem to be as big a part of the design culture here. And that that surprised me. Interesting.
1: Did that change at all when you went to Snapguide? No. Or that that falls in the bucket of what,
2: what yeah, you didn't expect. Y- yeah, I actually, so Snapguide was super small. It was like, I think six or seven people when I joined. And they had uh, one designer who was based out in Hood River, um, Edwin Tosley. Love that guy. He's like awesome. He's like, he's a really, really good designer. But he's definitely like someone you reach out to on like, the brand and like really getting this right visually. And he does think a lot about the UX side, but um, he's not on this side of things where it's like prototyping things out so much, you know, maybe it's changed now, but like, yeah, like I think I brought some of that to, I think they'd had a UX person there before that did that, but none of the visual design. And I I tried to bridge that gap and say, hey, you can actually do, do yeah, yeah. yeah, And I, I, I think, that I made some impact there with that I hope (laughs)
1: okay and how long were you there for
2: only a year actually um I wanted to be on a team with more designers yeah and I also got a little like over the tech scene a little bit in SF and just I felt like every meetup I went to you were like judged on where you worked and like how successful that place you worked were or like how many Yeah, I got a little bit jaded, and I, it was just a kind of a coincidence that I started paying a little bit of attention to Etsy, and I was like, I'm kind of curious about this company, and they kind of seemed cool, started reading uh, Cap's, Cap Watkins' blog, Um, also my best friend was still out there, and I was like, I know she's probably going to go back to Australia at some point, and I kind of, if I'm going to move to New York, I want to go there when she's there, so... Yeah, those things kind of accumulated. So
1: you reached out to Etsy?
2: Well, you know how people like to get jobs over Twitter. Ah, (laughs) let's hear the story. (laughs) So uh, I thought about it. I was like, okay, I'm going to work a little bit on my portfolio. I I had a ticket to Brooklyn Beta. um, and
0: uh, Ah, the infamous Brooklyn Beta.
2: Yeah. uh, And so... I put some effort into my portfolio. Definitely wasn't quite up to like rigorous interview stage, but I, I put some work into that. And then I just put this random tweet out and said, hey, do any designers or any, des- any designers interested in catching up for coffee? And like Cap replied and it's like, yes. So we met up for coffee. About an hour into the coffee conversation, you know, quick coffee. He was like, ah, uh, so you interested in working it yes? because I feel like we're getting into that. And I'm like, yeah, I think we are <laughs> really like, gotten Like it was pretty much an interview at that point. And uh, so they really quickly rallied and uh, so figured out uh, me interviewing while I was just out here for, for the week. And it was like, again, super fast. Um, got the offer moved from SF to New York in a month, which was nuts. If you've ever tried, it's amazing how much shit you accumulate in your household. (laughs) I moved from
0: (laughs) Minneapolis to SF in about two weeks and it was not fun. I moved down the hall.
1: (laughs) You're in New York at Etsy. Uh, They brought you on as a product designer?
2: So I started on the shop management team. The names have changed a bit, but uh, yeah, the the team that um, looks after the tools that sellers use to manage their shops. And I started uh, right around the beginning of a big redesign project. Um, it's not often that Etsy does that, but they they had some like pretty heavy technical debt and they were like, this, we kind of need to like rebuild the foundations here. Coupled with that, it was not responsive. And uh, throughout user research, we found that some sellers were trying to use this non-responsive desktop page on their mobile, which was horrifying. And the style guide had was looking pretty outdated. So we, we started this uh, redesign uh, project. We had a, a researcher on the team too, which was great. Um, and we also decided to rebuild a new style guide in the process because, you know, if you're redesigning the tool, you may as well just add some things on <laughs> to that. So, um, Future creep. I mean... I think it was the best way to do it because we got to test out on the product and we weren't having to test it out on the part of the site that was live that people were using, but we were still testing it on a real product with features and interactions and things. And that, you know, throughout the process of that project, we moved that into a prototype um, team where a closed group of sellers could use it. And then we opened that and then people could add themselves to this prototype if they want to, which is like great because we got loads of feedback from that. Um, Mm -hmm. It also helped ease those sellers into this change, which is like, you know, these are the tools that they use to manage their shop. And, you know, for some people, that's like a big part of their livelihood. Mm -hmm. So we want to be careful about how we approach that. Mm -hmm. That was super fascinating and awesome to be a part of. And I got to work really closely um with a researcher on that and we we went out and did a lot of like um interviews in sellers studios and their homes and actually like followed the whole process from start to finish to understand what was and wasn't working for them so they would do things like print out the orders and write notes all over them We're like okay so this is interesting that you print all these out and this is how you manage your workflow and like why are you writing things on them and we would discover things like stuff wasn't standing out very well to them on the on the orders and it could be even just something as simple as like the font size then other things like things were missing and so that was super insightful and that's like that research has definitely like um fed back into some of the features that we've um built out so
1: and what are you thinking about a lot now at Etsy? Like, what are the, the big things you're working on?
2: So many things. Um, definitely one of the things I'm thinking about is uh, I've been working a lot with onboarding designers. So,
0: so, yeah. like, is it geared towards just any designer coming on board or is it younger designers, older? Like, what what is the kind of ratio there, junior to senior kind of thing?
2: Um, We definitely have um, a lot more mid-level to seniors and um, less junior designers. Actually, one of the junior designers I work with uh, interviewed with Buffer and I think met you is Henry Basic. Uh He is my favorite person in the world. He interned at Etsy for three months last year and then we hired him early this year. And uh, So actually my first... To be really honest, my first experience of onboarding a designer was really with him because he joined my team. I just, like, I knew he knew some things from being there as an intern. And then I was like, oh, the Star guide just kind of changed a little bit. Read up on these docs, like, um, go through these tutorials, and then, like, let's talk about it and how it went. And that he was the first designer that had started since we did the initial style guide training. And then a few months later, two other designers started. And I can't remember what prompted the thought, but I was like, I don't think they've had star guide training, like. And I, I emailed the two of them. And they were like, "Nope, what's, what's that?" You know. And so I was like, "Oh my god, we need to make sure like all these new designers are getting this training because this mm-hmm. is now a huge part of our toolset." Um, and so that's where that started. And I, I did some initial training with them, and then I emailed the leads, and I was, I. So you know, I think we need to do a lot more with our onboarding process. Now we've like grown a lot.
0: Is this is all five leads, there. Is that right?
2: Oh my gosh, I'd have to count them on my hands. Is like, there's Floris he used to make tea. J, Jason Huff is my manager. He's rad. Um, another guy called Jung and McGarry. So yes, you're right, five. Yeah. So like, you know, as a as a company scales and as a design team scales, it turns out. All the things that you need to know also becomes bigger. So there's a lot that we need to let designers know about and not feel like lost when they're starting at the company.
1: Well, what have you done? Because this is a huge problem. It was becoming a problem for us at Buffer, obviously at Facebook. It's like, how do you... Well,
0: Facebook does like a two-week camp, right? We do a two-week
1: onboarding. Before you even pick your team. Before you even pick your team, yeah. I think there's this issue of just knowledge transfer over time. Like mm. there are people who have probably worked on really similar things to me designers years ago. Bad at communication. Right? Like over <laughs> time you just lose <laughs> over time you lose all this conversation and emails and threads and it gets lost into the ether and then new designers come in they don't have any of this context of like why things are the way they are in
0: the design Why are things Uh, the way they are, Diana?
2: Oh, man. I mean, like, knowledge retention is a much bigger topic than, like, onboarding designers, I think. Same thing. 100%. (laughs)
1: Well, it sounds like you're taking the the right steps, right? Like, educating about the style guide and and things like that.
2: Yeah, I think documentation. Yeah. It's just, like, really important to keep documentation and like a lot of the pushback i often hear or complaints about documentation is that it's hard to keep up to date Mm -hmm. and i think the way that um we've learned to to tackle that and this is not just me this is from other people that have worked on this process is to build updating documentation into into the regular process like routine things that you do
0: commit messages
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes I mean I mean one way like if it's documentation about code keep it with the code if you can Mm -hmm. Uh, but another thing is like using I use the onboarding or as best as I can like with the time I have like using when I train a new designer check the docs before I do that session has anything changed Uh, as I go through that session I don't think I've ever done a session where I haven't as I've gone through, I've gone, oh shit, that's not actually right. I need to update that. So like do that, make a note of that, make sure you do it straight afterwards. Also get feedback from people. So we have some onboarding docs that help designers go through their um, development environment setup and do a first push. And we find problems with that every time. There's like always things that have changed. So we encourage designers to like comment directly on that stuff and like, change stuff if they can we also pair people up with um, a buddy so like a design buddy someone who's been there a bit longer which is something that Floris um initiated and that really helps because that design buddy is able to help directly fix those things that are now mm-hmm. incorrect so I think it's like there's not there are some there are some tooling things that help with keeping documentation up to date but there's some things that will fall through those gaps so you have to build it into other processes
1: what's the hardest thing you're working on right now in terms of the onboarding like what's what are the big challenges
2: to be really honest it's like teaching designers to use git really that's the one it's it's kind of a
0: tough thing to grok sometimes like at least the more complicated stuff like add push commit is easy but branch and checkout and all that stuff it takes a while and god forbid merge conflicts Oh, merge conflicts. Oh. I have nightmares about merge conflicts.
2: I literally had the worst merge conflicts of my life as someone that tries to code like two weeks ago. and But it was really good. I got through it. I did wake make one mistake that did end up on production. I missed a closing div tag, which is always the Rookie thing. Rookie move, Diana. <laughs> But it was a good experience to go through. It made me feel more confident about how to approach that again. And I had five in a row. So that was like really, really fun.
0: Five in a row?
2: The first time... Can you remember your first Merge Conflict? Because I can. Yes.
0: Because I didn't know what it was. And I was like, holy (laughs) shit, what what happened to my coat?
2: What did you think it was? Because like the name is kind of funny, right? I mean,
0: it told me Merge Conflict. I kind of had a good idea of what it was, but I was like someone take my computer away (laughs) (laughs) someone fix this for me I'm not smart enough for this
2: it sounds bad right by the name it's like yeah well I guess it is the first time I had one was when I was working at that agency Digital Eskimo and I feel like this is like I was stupid I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna there's no I was the last person in the office no engineers around I'm like I'm gonna do this now it's gonna be fine
0: Sort of Friday afternoon,
2: something like that. <laughs> no, it was not fine. And like for the first twenty minutes, I like I had this box. I don't know why I had a box of cornflakes, but I just dry <laughs> ate like this box of corn f- like cornflakes, which is funny because it's cornflakes. I don't know. And I like just ate the. I was like, oh my god, what do I do? And I like panicked for twenty minutes, not doing anything, and then I just went, just deal with it. And then I got through, it, and the world didn't end. Funnily enough. So yeah, get is hard. It's a hard concept, and I'm I'm trying to the way that I am trying to learn how to teach that to designers is applying a design process that I would to any other problem, like iterating on the process, getting feedback, trying to understand what what the problems are, looking at what other people are doing, and seeing what works and what doesn't.
0: So you're not using it for design files or anything. You're using it for code specifically your designers code.
2: Yes, but we have these things um called sandboxes. Uh I mean sandbox environments is something that a lot of people use but for us that's a place where we can create HTML and CSS mockups with uh the style guide that we use on production so they can use production like code and mock-up clickable prototypes design in the browser and a lot of designers not all yet like we're still you know training people up but a lot of designers um use that like they would a design program so we now like a lot of designers have made like this homepage for their design sandbox that's like file versions and like current and like ordered in names of projects and stuff and one of the ways that we can help people get comfortable with Git is tracking that sand, those sandbox changes in Git. And um, it became apparent to me recently some, someone lost some work and they hadn't been tracking this in Git. And that's what led me to realize some of these designers aren't understanding how to use Git very much. And like we need to do more training in this. And also tracking changes with the sandbox is like a really safe way to do that because we're not touching production So that's where I'm trying to build confidence and make it all around working in the sandbox environment because they they can't break anything there really. We still run like a test and stuff but they're not touching production there so they can kind of like mess around with a few different things.
1: Do you think the browser is the best design tool for making websites versus something like Sketch or Photoshop?
2: Uh, Yes. Uh, I don't think that it's the only tool though that you have to use. I think there's still a place for like sketching things, doing some wireframes. Sometimes you need to, sometimes you want to just like, I don't know how to describe when it's best to do something in sketch or not, but sometimes you need to fill things out in a different way. And I think designers should use what, what tool they feel comfortable in. Yeah. Lowest
0: friction is a good place to start.
2: Yeah. Like, but I think, like, once you get into the browser, you're getting closer to what it's going to feel like in real life. And especially working in responsive design, I have no idea how to do that
1: in sketch. Yeah. <laughs> I love to design in the browser as well. But I found that sometimes I would actually just limit myself based on what was fastest to implement or like what I knew how to implement, even though a more competent engineer would actually be better at that. So, I, in some ways, I sort of stunt the the possibility of what i could make do you encounter that do you see people making the same decision to in the browser go with what they know how to i see prototype? you as a very
0: pragmatic designer because of that you get a lot done very fast it's it's not always like the most unique it's just done it's what i know and how to do matters and
1: it feels like a, a limiting factor sometimes
2: i think you could say the same for design tools though too like i've seen designers that know how to do certain effects in like Photoshop or fireworks when that was a thing and like I you know I think that's something you should always be aware of and try to be like kind of a bit ambidextrous in like the design tools that you can use and I don't think there's like a perfect answer to that I just think you have to be aware of it and yeah that does cross my mind sometimes and I I think you have to always be like zooming in and zooming out right so like when you find yourself doing that like whoa wait a minute dude i need to get the pen and paper out or that, whatever
0: uh, speaking of zooming in and zooming out like <laughs> i like to live at like 1600 percent zoom and sketch and having the uh the browser preview now which is at one per, like 100 percent. Oh, it's the best thing ever yeah the three, i just discovered that today and i was today. like oh my god it's so good
2: Wait, when did that come out? I didn't didn't install it,
0: but I have a couple files in beta still. I had to move all my files back from beta, so I manually redrew every single artboard. It's the worst. Such a good use of time. Hey, they're really good now. (laughs) They're very clean. Everything's named correctly. Everything is, like, super organized. It's the best. It was also the worst process ever.
1: Man, I don't know. My files are big. Brendan and I were chatting the other day about UI components and, and... things like this and living living at 1600 x feels or 1600 percent feels like a waste of time to me for a prototype or a mock right. that that you're you're gonna hand to an engineer that sounds like a waste of time
0: why my icons are dope
1: okay for icons that's where okay i'll give you icons
2: you do icons in sketch
0: no i've dragged them in now from (laughs) affinity designer
2: (laughs) (laughs) i still i see i still use illustrator i think illustrator is the tool Oh, that i've used for the so longer, good yeah i i'm usually very like okay i'll just use this new like every job i've had they're like no we use fire like vast used fireworks snap guide use photoshop etsy like they wouldn't prescribe that but a lot of people use sketch so it's like i just use whatever is gonna the be the hip new used. thing lowest uh-huh. friction what lowest friction like whatever is gonna be the best for collaborating with other people but like, i still will like if someone's done a design that I want to iterate on, especially with iOS design, because I don't know how to code that yet, um, I will open Photoshop if I need to, like, whatever. Don't know I, how to code that yet? I'm like, oh, yeah, layer comps. Oh, <laughs> I forgot yeah. about these. Yeah. Are
1: you wanting to learn? Uh,
2: native app development? hmm um, yes and no it's lower down on my priority list um i feel really passionate about the web and i think right now i'm really interested in learning more about learning more javascript and learning more about front-end architecture and that serves me better as a designer in the space that i'm mostly working in like all designers at etsy will work cross-platform if they need to there's you know we if we're implementing a feature that exists across platform, we'll do that work. And they've they also have been offering. Um, they've been really great. They've offered coding um, classes for uh, native app development for designers. Like a lot of designers have done that, and some of them have started committing code. But you know, I, I find it really interesting to work in that space. It's kind of like more of a fascination. I'm like, oh man. Oh, yeah, these interactions are completely different. And I think there is some things that we can learn from native app design that we can we should filter into how we do mobile web. And sometimes we do a bad job of mobile. Web. We're like, oh, we'll just scale down this desktop design.
1: And
0: throw everything in a hamburger. Hey, hamburgers are good with lots of toppings.
2: I like my favorite phrase right now is the kebab. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. the kebab. That, dot,
2: dot, dot. I'm so pleased you know what that is. I started using that in every every design Android review, and they were like, the what? The kebab? The kebab. Wasn't
1: it the Luke Roblooski? <laughs> Rebloss, Rebloss, I don't follow he, him. He had the mystery meat navigation post.
0: Anyway, <laughs>
1: we are running out of time. Anything you want to plug before you go?
2: Um. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. Weren't you
1: expecting this question?
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm. just trying to act like it's a surprise. Oh you man, I like, <laughs> haven't thought about
0: this, but actually, I want to plug this. Isn't it? <laughs> You're like the listener who has been most involved in Spec before they came on.
2: <laughs> oh really? That's cool. Uh well, I you know I kind of have to, um, like give a shout out to Base CSS and just I. Oh, did you hear that, Jackson? Sometime, one time, Brent Jackson, Brent Jackson, Jackson we'll be Black. On a Wednesday. Cool. So, uh, someone tweeted him. Tweeted at uh, Jackson is like the best suite of like design tools you ever use. And it was like, oh, cool. He's a design tool. <laughs> 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 so, yeah.
0: Jackson Black, the design tool. <laughs> yeah,
2: but he has built a lot of design tools. Uh, I like. I'd like to plug Shade in particular because I had a bit to do with. That Throw a it out there. Throw my, some shade. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, if you're in New York, uh, we just uh, my team just launched this thing called Etsy ASAP. If you want to get things same day or next day delivery, so only in New York, but yeah, check that out.
0: Only in New York. It's not San Francisco.
2: We're we're doing a pilot project. <laughs> we're, we're testing it out, seeing how it goes. Oh,
0: well, cool. Well, thank, thank you, you for, for taking the time.
2: Thanks you're- for letting me talk for ages. That was great.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's like an hour. <laughs> One hour. Cool. Thanks.
2: Cool. Thanks.
0: That was some great broccolini.
1: Yes, it was. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, leave us a review on iTunes. Those help us move up the charts, help new people discover the show. If you're on your phone or your computer, just find us in iTunes, design details, uh, leave a rating. And if you want to write a review, we love to read those. Otherwise, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM, Or join our Slack team. We're getting close to 2,000 people in there. That's at spec.fm slash slack. And
0: speaking of our community, we're going to be out in New York soon. And we're going to do a meetup. And we'll tell you about that coming soon. And we'll probably have stickers and stuff. So if you're on the East Coast, uh, keep an eye on our Twitter.
1: Before we go, huge thank you to the two sponsors that made this episode possible.
0: Dropbox. Dropbox is the best. They're fantastic. They help us sync our files across our computers and share them with each other and we honestly couldn't make spec happen without it it just keeps getting better with paper and mailbox and carousel and all these awesome tools that help us do all of our things all better i'm saying all a lot but it's it's actually valid like it's it's, your whole life hey man it's your
1: it's your whole life don't put me in
0: a box like that (laughs) uh drop box like that nice okay all right. Thank you, Dropbox. Go check them out at Dropbox.com. Our second sponsor, of course, is Icon Finder. They are the
1: largest source of premium icons on the web, over 650,000 in their library. All different styles, all variations are going to work in any software you're using on the web. Go to IconFinder.com, start searching for icons and sign up for Icon Finder Pro. It's just nine bucks a month, gets you access to that entire collection. If you use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS, that'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50%. Off your first month. Huge thank you once again to
0: Icon Finder. We'll see you on Wednesday with Brent Jackson. Not me. It's Brent. 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 Okay, bye.